and this is Pebok K Rambles, where a couple of friends review Korean dramas. And we're back out of hiatus real fast to do a month-long spooky season for all of you people out there who maybe want something a little darker in content, a little bit more in line with Halloween and the month of October. I am here to please. Nobody asked for this, but I am excited to cover some of these shows that I think are probably due to be talked about. So maybe some new movies as well coming up on on this just four, four episodes, month long for Spooky Season. I am joined on this first episode by Sarah from K-Drama This slash co-host of Afternoon to Ask podcast. Sarah, how have you been? Uh, I'm good. I've been, I'm not showing off. It's just, uh, I have been traveling quite a lot with work um, and also had a holiday of my own. So I'm a little bit kind of jet lagged, but I'm excited to be talking to this, to you about this drama. I know. I, I, I asked you if you had seen this drama. It is the drama DP, which currently has two seasons. It's a Netflix drama and is quite a heavy show. And I thought very fitting for the month and for the sort of vision that I had for this little spooky season that I'm putting out for this month. And you were gracious enough to say yes, and I would love to do a review of it, both seasons. And uh, we have a lot to talk about, even though the seasons are quite short. Yes. I think that they're chock full of, of topics and content that we can discuss i think i guess it's appropriate to put trigger warning in front of this episode just a content warning we'll be talking about things like um violence and assault um, sexual assault and violence against lgbtq plus members of the community and just really rough rough topics in military um in the military so Without further ado, I think we can just head into this episode, but before we do, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more, and if you like us, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and come check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Pod. And lastly, if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support and get a bunch of extra content. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. And shout out to our patrons, Curtis Bale, Cindy CD, Alana, Grace, Lorna, Lee, Sammy, Caitlin, Michelle, Tenmei, Adia, and Aram, who is a new patron. Thank you for being a patron. Thank you guys. Really appreciate all of your support and the great community that we have over there. And without further ado, here we go. DP seasons one and two. I'll go ahead and read the Wikipedia synopsis for both seasons. For season one, it reads set in 2014. DP tells the story of a team of Korean military police with their mission to catch deserters. The series magnifies the undesirable nature of the military, especially within a South Korean context. The widespread bullying and hazing, as well as the mindset for the survival of the fittest, are rife, with those presumed the weakest thrown to the bottom of the pile and served horrifying experiences at the hands of their superiors and compatriots. Private Anduno and corporate Han Ho Yol team up to find the deserters. And they end up on an adventurous journey for season two. Season two is a direct continuation of season one. The first season 
Season two magnifies the undesirable nature of the South Korean military, but mostly done through the perspective of senior officers covering topics such as corruption, LGBTQ plus discrimination, and the question of whether the military as an organization is responsible for soldiers who act out violently due to abuse by their fellow soldiers. So season one aired August of 2021, season two back in July of this year, July 2023. Each season is only six episodes long. And it's adapted from the webtoon DP Dog Day by Kim Botong. It is directed and written by Han Duni, who is a male director. He has done basically nothing else besides Hit and Run Squad and Coin Locker Girl. These are both movies and nothing else. Nothing else for his filmography. This show stars Dong Hyun as Antuno. And we've covered a bunch of his shows on the podcast, including Snowdrop, Something in the Rain, Prison Playbook. And while you were sleeping, um, I think, Sarah, that you have a little story that you'd like to share. <laughs> yeah. So um, for those of you who don't know, this is my second time with uh, Jess. And I'm going to thank you because I kind of feel like I manifested this happening because I spoke to you on our pod about fan meets and how I was super curious about fan meets and how they worked um, and I really wanted to speak to somebody who'd been to a fan meet and just know and then it just so happens in amongst this traveling that I was mentioning that I was in Hong Kong when Jung Hae In was in Hong Kong to do a <laughs> fan meet it's crazy, right? And I just looked at it and I was like, immediately, I was like, I don't, I don't care how much the ticket cost. And actually, it wasn't crazy expensive for those people who kind of used to getting K-pop tickets and stuff. It wasn't really that bad. But I got, I paid more to be closer to the stage because, I mean, mm. right, obviously, I had to. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I went along uh, and it was just brilliant. It was just, uh, it was a fascinating experience. It was just so um they it's such a good show and it lasted for such a long time and it was really about really delivering to the fans and he himself got really emotional because this is obviously with covid and everything this is kind of everyone's first set of fan meets really like where they've left career mm. and and gone further afield so he's doing a whole asia tour but he's coming to you guys in north america so he has dates in the states uh and in canada yeah. so uh if anyone's interested in going check out his socials but um I totally recommend, even if you're not a big Jung Hae-in fan, um, but if you're interested in K-drama and just how these fan meets work, I really think it's worth going. It's, yeah, it was great fun. I am so glad. Did he sing and dance? He did sing. He didn't dance, actually. So, okay. uh, yeah, I think he doesn't come from a, a K-pop background like so many of the stars do, but he no. definitely he definitely did sing. Um, and obviously he interviewed and he was just, I think the main thing is just seeing how authentic he is in his interviews and things and whether that kind of matches his personality because he is, he is quite a quiet actor and, mm-hmm. and he is quite a quiet person, but in, in a way his like, his kind of earnestness and his seriousness was just, just so endearing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm so glad that you had that experience because we were literally, talking about it on the episode about uh i think it was do you like brahms you it came was. on was yeah. the last time and we were wondering out loud what's the deal what happens at these fan meets and literally <laughs> full circle you went to a family for Tungin and that he stars in the drama that we're talking about today I, I was like it was like perfect it was kismet um it was crazy i love 
Tung Hin. I think he's one of my favorite actors and I unintentionally have co- covered so many of his dramas. Like I had no idea he was in Prison Playbook or While You Were Sleeping when I picked those dramas to review for the podcast. And yeah. so it was like a pleasant surprise that a lot of his dramas have reviews on the Tebak feed. And I wonder why he's not bigger i mean maybe maybe he is big but i feel like he should be even bigger yeah yeah i I just wonder whether or not his dramas i still i mean it was funny right because um first of all the the thing in the in the foyer before you go in they had like a little board of actually quite a big board of all of his (laughs) main main roles and we were given little stickers to say which ones were our favorites and then they were gonna count them all up and then within the show they ranked uh everybody's favorite uh uh roles like from the the least favorite to the to the so, so um without yeah like what do you reckon was his first his like most favorite role for the fans that were in in hong kong i think it time? might uh, i'll just say snowdrop uh it was quite was high up one. actually yeah it was quite high up yeah. actually but it was actually something in the rain something in the rain yeah yeah really oh but- i love that it's interesting because it. cause my favorite was actually One Spring Night. So that's the one I voted for. Um, but uh, even his goblin cameo was in there because actually that is yeah. a lot of people's fan favorite. Um, but it was interesting and pertinent to this as well and what we're talking about. But he said quite a few times in mm-hmm. various different sections and in interviews that he did not want to play any more military roles. Like he was actually, yeah, yeah he wants to kind of like, he felt like he had done a lot of them and that he'd really explored that side of him. Uh, and he was yeah. actually looking for something completely different. And I was thinking if, um, whether or not, you know, um, it was something that he could do that made him more popular would be to more standard kind of rom-com. Cause he's done a lot of romantic dramas, I feel, but not, mm-hmm. um, you know, this kind of, more i don't know i'm thinking like we talked about kick the land and junho in our last (laughs) (laughs) like uh, podcast together jess and but something like really popular like that that kind of pushes him into you know the the public consciousness in in that kind of role i think yeah he's missing like a um like a goblin type show which is sort of mass appeal maybe has some fantasy elements but is largely a romance and yeah. will put him in front of even more people because something in the rain is a really great romance but it's not conventional at no. all for k-dramas no. and yeah he's played a lot of military people and cops as well uh snowdrop in prison playbook he was in the military this obviously dp he's in the military and then while you were sleeping he was a cop i mean that's very interesting to see him sort of choose these roles or maybe they just land for him like he could audition for 10 things and then he gets these I don't know it's it's weird and I I think it's so fascinating that he said he's gonna he's gonna try to leave this all behind like the military roles yeah yeah wow let's manifest that for him together (laughs) no I'm excited because he's chosen really interesting cool projects and DP is one of those projects that you're I don't consider DP uh, this is getting into like the actual show but I don't really consider DP a K-drama I consider it sort of like a Netflix original that's set in Korea yeah and it's very different it doesn't have any of the tropes it is completely devoid of like the magic that 
of people that people gravitate towards for K-drama. Yeah. And if I anything, feel like it's important yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> Definitely. I totally agree. And if anything, I think it takes the tropes, the things, the expectations that you place on K-dramas in the drama and it tells you this is not this is not that drama, you know. You're mm. not going to get this kind of redemptive hero that's going to fix the system. The system mm-hmm. is broken. Um, and, yeah, a lot of the things that you think are going to happen in a K-drama, I think that I think the drama enjoys saying to you, it, it's not, because this is not how the world works, mm-hmm. sadly. Mm-hmm. Sadly. It's really realistic. I think people are upset. I've said this multiple times. When K-dramas are realistic, and this is one of those that feels realistic to the point of are we actually living in a dystopian society yeah yeah because it's so dark it is and i think it is it, also a, a sense of like i think uh, we in the, and I've, i'm in the uk where we don't have military conscription either so i think sometimes we the way that we kind of come across this in 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 k-drama is kind of idols or uh actors going off on their military service and it's just uh, um, and it's obviously i mean understandably for us from a fan point of view and just like oh like you know hey sugar's about to go off uh you know on his his uh <laughs> yeah. service and we kind of see it as like oh you know he won't be back for two years and we don't really kind of we kind of uh, don't really kind of examine what that really means, you know, mm. uh, uh, from a society point of view. And um, and, and I think DP, DP is actually almost too brutal to, to kind of live in and think, you know, shoot, there are people that, that send uh, their children off into this world and this potentially could be what happens to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to this and the the whole show as a whole i guess after we finish up with this this cast it's not that many other people that i want to mention but we have also ku ku kyo hwan who plays han hoyol and he's actually a relative newcomer he's just basically blown up in the last couple of years last three years or so i think dp was his very first drama gay drama he has been in Kingdom, Ashin of the North in 2021 as well. He was in one episode of Extraordinary Attorney Wu. He was in um, a few movies as well, Peninsula from 2020, which is the sequel to Train to Busan. He was in Escape from Mogadishu in 2021, Runaway in 2022, and you might have seen him in Kill Poksun from earlier this year, 2023. He does have a few other shows coming down the pipeline um for this year 2023 i don't know where these when these will come out but parasite the gray from netflix evidently and then one day off from a wave i don't know what those are even about but that's coming down the line for him too he won a peck song award for best newcomer i believe from his role here ntp yeah had you seen uh Gyohwan before DP? only in his uh attorney Wu cameo but mm-hmm. um i mean you said it was only one episode and then when you said it i was like wow was it only one episode because it was pretty impactful i think both that story and he himself um so that it was one of those ones that really stick out uh from extraordinary attorney Wu actually hmm which we've covered on the podcast as well i feel like we're it's getting hard not to cover something in one of in <laughs> These actors, when you go down the line, we're like, oh, 
and we did that too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we also have Kim Sung Kyun as Park Bom Goo, and he's a veteran actor. He's been in 34 movies, 14 TV shows. He's been the Ajushi in pretty much everything you can think of. Reply series, he's been in two of those Reply 94 and 88. He's been in Moon Lovers, Scarlet Heart Rio, which we talked about his character extensively on that episode of the podcast. Grid, We Hero Class One, Divorce Attorney Shin, and most recently he was in Moving. Yeah. Which should come up very soon in this spooky season. <laughs> yes. Um, he's also been in a few movies. I'll just mention Soul Vibe, The Suspect. With Kong Yu, Huayi, a monster boy with Yo Gu, and secretly greatly with Kim Soo Hyun. So he's been around the block. How did you how did you like him in this show? In DP? I I really liked him, actually. So uh, probably my favorite role of his is uh one of the replies. So it's, it's probably I don't know, I love him in both ninety-eight and ninety-four, but probably ninety-four just because he is you know, he's do because they always have this character, don't they, in the reply series that looks a lot older than his actual character is. And that was his role in, in 84. And it was like a constant, it was like a constant running joke. Um, yeah. But he was so dark in this. Like he's smoking, he's swearing, he's like, he's really cynical. Uh, and I really love seeing that side of him because uh, I think he's an amazing actor. He's one of my favorites. Like whenever he comes on screen, I'm like, oh, yes. You know, like he's one of those ones where you feel like we're in safe hands, right? He's he's in this drama. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's difficult, not difficult. It's different to see him in a role where, like you said, he's swearing. It's a bit of a anti-hero or you know complicated character because he's kind of unlikable on the on paper but he's so likable in the grand scheme of things and how he thinks and how he's an advocate how he's an ally for a lot of these people he's just also working for the military like he's stuck right in yes. as in as much of this system as the the two deserter bazook guys are even though they're going in the field he's like dealing with the higher ups and you see his struggle way more in season two which was very nice change of pace to see what he's dealing with and how he's being heckled to do really questionable things behind the scenes um we'll round this cast out with son soku who plays jisob um he's just you know, Mr. Goo from my liberation notes, among other things. Obviously, if you've seen Sense 8, which is an American show, he was in five episodes of that. He's been in Mother, Suits, Designated Survivor, 60 Days, Be Melodramatic, Big Bet. Um, he will also be in Murderer O Nang Nangam, which is a Netflix show airing later this year. I don't know what that's about either, but we'll see him in that. I really like Song So Cool. Me too. Me mm -hmm. too. Have you seen that clip that's uh, going? I love that you list all these dramas, and I'm just going to talk about an internet clip of um, him reading out like the Barbie Girl lyrics. Oh yeah, the on the P6 show. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And they asked him a too. bunch of questions. I mean, I've seen clips of this on TikTok. I should just watch the whole show on, on yeah, yeah. YouTube. But he is very chill. I think he just turned forty this year or something like that. And they asked him. Um, 
which is better. Like, do you feel any different now that you're 40? And he's like, yes, I do. Like everything takes longer. My body doesn't recover the same. And I thought that when I was in my 30s, I wanted so badly to be in my 40s because I thought it was cool. And now that I'm here, I wish that I was back in my 30s. I just I just love that it was like only he could make reading out Barbie girl lyrics look so sexy and just so, you know, <laughs> just so cool. Uh, yeah. And I, I think he's perfect in DP because this is this gray area character. When we first meet him, we're not really sure how to take him. Mm. And with Son Sukuk, he could be any of, any of these things. You yeah. know, he could genuinely be a bit of a douchebag. He could be a sleazebag. He could end up being a hero. He could be any of these things, right? Because he is, yeah. he is, he just does that kind of morally gray, could mm. be anything character so well. Yeah, absolutely. I think they also asked him who would win in a fight between Mr. Goo and Jisub, his character oh, in right. DP. Oh, right. Yeah. And he was like, uh, Mr. Goo, no question about it. Like oh, that for character. Sure. Yeah, for sure. would win. Yeah. So there's a lot more people in this show. It is hitting a bunch. It's just, I mean, collecting actors um, yes. that you've probably seen before. You might have seen Che Hyung-wook yes. from 25-21. And I think Week Hero Class 1, if I recall correctly. You have Ko Kyung-pyo, who is also in Reply 1988. A lot of big heavy hitters, Ji Tini, Jung Suk Young. These are like some Ajashis that you might have seen before. Really cool talent in this show. So now that we've gotten the cast out of the way, what are your thoughts on DP? How did you feel after watching season one? And how did you feel after finishing season two? Um. I, I waited until, so I did not watch DP season one till this year. Uh, oh, okay. despite, I know, despite being a Jung Hae-in fan, because I knew I had seen, obviously the, the whole set dropped, you know, all in one go. Yeah. And so people who had watched it at the start, they were like, whew, that is tough, right? It's really brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't really do violence. I don't handle yeah. violence that well. I enjoy watching gotcha. shows yeah. with violence in it, but I don't seek them out and I have to be in the right mood. Like I have to be in a solidly good place. Um, yeah. So yeah. I waited until I was and then I did them all in one go. Oh God. And yeah, that is, it's pretty heavy. I was in the right mood for it, but I remember feeling at the end, I was like, well, shoot, mm-hmm. I have to go and... Yeah. I don't know, I've got to find some happiness or like sit with some Hello Kitty dolls or something because it was really, <laughs> it was really like, yeah, it was really hard hitting. I mean, I'm so glad I, I, I watched it because it was everything that everybody said it was going to be. Mm. But it was even more brutal, even more dark because I think there's a lot of K-dramas out there that are, are very hard hitting violence wise and that's kind of where I thought this was going. But mm. this was one of those things that it had stories that stayed with me a lot longer afterwards than other dramas have where right. they're probably a little bit more straight not straight violence because I, I don't want to like underplay it but it but it's a lot more like action-based violence you know and it's uh-huh. very like good versus evil these are the good guys these are the bad guys and but right. you come out of dp it's not as you said right at the top this is not a k-drama in that sense you know? it really doesn't feel like a k-drama in any sense of the word um and which is why 
I think it makes people not want to watch it because yeah. they, you know, besides being triggering for any number of reasons and violent, gory, bloody, it also is a lesson in just, I, how do I put it? A depressing situation that has no solution. There is not a quick and dirty solution that will fix the problems of the South Korean military and the problems of hazing and bullying in general, which I think most people get exposed to in K-dramas through the school dramas, because the school bullying, take even the glory, for instance, that school bullying or torture, as I said in that episode review, that's just torture. No one wants to think that the military which is protecting you is also demeaning and bullying your children yeah yeah and it's an unflinching look at a very real occurrence that i remember there was a video that was going around of people talking with people on the street just asking them have you seen dp what do you think is it accurate? And every person was like, yeah, I mean, maybe some things are a little exaggerated, but honestly, it's pretty spot on, which yeah. is horrifying. Like, that's real it's, life horror. It's, yeah. And I, I um, remember that there's, um, there's a quote, I think it's actually from season two, but um, <laughs> it's, it's okay. We're both are on the table. Both are on the table. So uh, it was, uh, Sung Kyung's character. So uh, Sergeant Park Bomgu, he's he actually says at one point, doesn't he? He's like, I don't, I don't want as a parent to put my children through this uh-huh. through the military. Yes. Yeah, and it's actually a throwaway comment, mm-hmm. um, but it is it is just that mirror held up, going like, you know, this is I'd never what, want this. Yeah, yeah, for my own child. Even though I'm yeah. here day in and day out and dealing with this yeah. shit. I would never yes. wish this this experience on my own children. Yeah. And then obviously hanging over is that is pretty much every child, every male child does mm-hmm. go through this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a unique thing. I think a lot of countries, just like the UK, the US is not a conscript doesn't have a conscription based military. Obviously in previous wars there have been drafts, but now for the last few decades <laughs> it's volunteer basis. On, yeah. For the military. And, you know, sometimes you get these, some stories pop out in the news where something happened in the military and you get like an, a few good, a few good men moment where you're like, okay, is this a sort of conspiracy? Are they like covering it up? Did something happen? They're not telling the full story. But honestly, we don't get this level of bullying in our schools. We don't get it in our military with what's trickled down and told to us, right? This harsh look <laughs> at the South Korean military, um, I don't know what it says about the society. I mean, we can we can pick it apart, but honestly, when I was watching it, it felt like they had a lot to say, you know, right? Like the show has something to say, and it's not offering any solutions. It's not offering anything. It's just saying, look, 
at what's happening. Yeah. And, and also, I think for me, just how relentless it is, right? Mm. So again, we spoke about how, you know, so probably in a K-drama, you'd have the plucky person that would be standing up to the system and saying like, I'm going to change things. This is not how it's going to be anymore. And they showed you that there were some people who tried to and they didn't get very far because mm-hmm. you can't fight the system by yourself internally. Mm-hmm. And in the end, people who did not even want to bully ended up being bullies people who didn't want to do hazing um kind of um torture ended up doing that despite mm-hmm. themselves despite their initial attentions you know yeah. so the k-drama was very much this is not a k-drama in that there is a plucky person that stood up and hey look at this redemptive arc that you know people get it is just the system is fundamentally broken and you can still have people that act in a a heroic in quote marks way through mm-hmm. the seasons both seasons but ultimately at the end of it you don't get a ray of light there isn't a kind of you know it's fine mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. um you know this 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 these problems or this set of problems have a solution um because you definitely come out of it or i definitely came out of it thinking no there's no there's no solutions right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is very much um and we've said this on and off on the podcast, but even the language is hierarchical and the way that the military is obviously is hierarchical. Everywhere that there is a military, it is you follow orders and that's that. Like you just, a soldier needs to follow orders. There is a chain of command and it's mind boggling the type of leadership that is portrayed in the show, which is not uncommon for K-dramas to show flawed leadership but these i think the systemic nature of how they approach punishment and the pr of the military and the just maintaining the public image of the korean military and how they don't want things to be exposed and for them to look bad and they don't want it's like snitches like the snitching mentality it's wild to me that they, you know, people could be punished for telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and then also I th- like, I, sorry. Oh, go, no, no, go right. No, ahead. no, go you right can, ahead. no, you carry, you carry on. You carry on. No, 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 you can, you can pick it right up. <gasps> no, no. Cause I think you were finishing a point and I was about to make something. And you no, I was going to change so gears. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think also, I think what I, for me, uh, the show does go out of the military and back into Korean society as well, right? Mm-hmm. So that also mm-hmm. makes it depressing because it actually isn't contained. So one of the things, like I rolled into DP um, season one uh, out of Alchemy of Souls, uh, which, you know, everyone famously knows your views on Alchemy of Souls. But, um, <laughs> one of the people that I think you did like, and uh, I definitely like, was Shin Sung Ho, who played the Crown Prince. Right. Um, and um, I remember coming up thinking, oh, it's the crown prince i love the crown prince <laughs> and then obviously within two minutes you're like oh shoot he is um yeah he's no longer the crown prince and um okay it, you came at this really, backwards yeah yeah it's really horrific but anyway we see um him later in korean so i'm not going to go into spoilers it's not the spoiler section but um we see him go into korean society and actually in some senses nothing has really changed oh my and god i found and i found that thread it was actually a small, small thread, but I found it really 
really depressing. Uh-huh. Very impactful to see yeah. his life after he gets discharged. And yeah, what I mean by you, you saw this backwards is that DP season one happened in 2021, right? And then Alchemy of Souls happened, um, what was it? Part one was 20, 2022, late 2022. Yeah. And then part two was like er, um, late 2022, early 2023, I believe. Yeah. So like in between DP seasons, he did Alchemy, Alchemy of Souls came out. And he was quite endearing in Alchemy of Souls. People sort of rallied for him. They were on his side, the turtle and him and whatever. I knew him as the nightmare yeah. bully <laughs> from season one of DP. And so when I saw him, I was like, oh, my God, it's this terror. Psych- back. Psycho. Yeah. 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 He's he's nightmare fuel in DP. And it. I don't know where these actors get it from. Yeah. I don't know where he's pulling from, but it's it's intense and it feels very real. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think I uh, I don't want to go into spoilers. Whoa, let's talk about this really fast. So emotions in the show. Throughout the show, it sort of shows how they are processing different things or not processing different things traumas that happen to them and the way that emotions that they express themselves is almost always violence again like k-dramas have kind of come far and you can see like different ways that characters express themselves and how they cope with things and to see almost every character resort to violence, ex- to finally express frustrations when things bubble over, when they're dealing with the trauma, they just resort to violence. That's like their first thing. Is I don't know what I don't know what my thought is, but I just had to like point that out how disturbing that is too. That yeah. even the good characters, quote unquote good characters or characters that you're rooting for, they also resort to violence. Yeah. It's that they're not immune to it. Exactly. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, I think you already mentioned the apathy or indifference of others in the military, even if they're not getting directly bullied, even if they're not, you know, directly doing anything adverse to other people. They are not helping. They are bystanders. It's like the bystander effect. In mass. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the the drama does a good job of showing you that, you know, like, that's a self-survival thing, right? If you're not currently involved in it, just mm-hmm. keep your head down and, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to, you don't want to try and have the attention put on you at all. Um yeah. Um, so just circling back a bit, because I think you asked about both season one and season two. So um, I do think, although season two is a continuation of season one, mm-hmm. I think for me, they did actually have different, they felt a bit different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. if you agree, but like, I think season one had a lightheartedness. Yes. And a, like a humor that season two, like it was a specific decision not to have. 
if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I think for me, season one, there was a lot of the bromance um, yeah, between our two leads. Yeah. yeah. And it was definitely a lot more muted. I mean, partly obviously because of the storyline, but actually I don't think they... I think they specifically did not want to go back into the bromance and show that that wasn't part of the feel of season two. So I think mm-hmm. for for me, season two was, was I mean, I also think the storyline, I think uh, it wasn't quite as vignette as season one. But I yes. think the two that, the two that we, the stories that we did get in season two was so dark, mm-hmm. so dark. So, you know, you roll out of season one, or I did roll out of season one, think like, shoot, that was... God, that was tough. And then you go into season two and you're like, okay, that's like another level. <laughs> They've dropped like another level of dark and another uh-huh. level of brutal and another level of, um, yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I think I chatted to you, didn't I, before we started the show? Like, I can't, in a way, I can't believe this is only 12 episodes. Yes. Because what they managed to achieve and the density of the, of the material that they cover and the kind of the pathos of some of those stories mm. it's like wow these are really seriously talented storytellers that yes. they managed to do all of that in just 12 episodes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm really interested to see what the writer director does after dp considering that he's only done two other movies and this is well pretty much it yeah so circle back a bit i'm so I am not a big K movie fan, not because I don't like them, but actually in the UK, we do have trouble getting like lots of K movies. But Hit and Run Squad is a random film I managed to see on a plane. Oh. And it is one of, yeah, and it's one of the worst K movies I've seen. Okay. Uh, so I was, and I hadn't realized, I hadn't done my homework. So I hadn't realized the director for this was uh, the director for that movie. But if you'd have told me that these two people were in any way linked, I'd have been like, no. Because everything that I've just said about DP season two is absent from, uh, oh, season one and season two is absent from that drama. Like plot, depth, pathos, empathy (laughs) for characters. (laughs) Just like, I was really shocked that this was like the same guy. So yeah. Yeah. The only one that I really want to watch that has been on my watch list forever is Coin Locker Girl from 2015. It is a crime thriller starring, uh, Kim Hesu and Kim Goon. So Kim Hesu, if you've seen Signal, I haven't. No. Okay. I need um, to. Under the Queen's umbrella, she's the queen. Yes, I know okay. who she is. I haven't seen either of those. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. As long I'm just like putting a name to the face, and then yeah. Kim Goon, obviously from Goblin and a bunch of other stuff. Pak Bulgum is in it. So is Wee Jun. Wow, that is quite a cast. Big cast. I'll read the synopsis really fast so you just get an idea of what the movie is about. Abandoned as a baby in a subway locker, Il Young becomes an enforcer for a woman known as Mother. While on another assignment, Il Young meets Sokhyun, the son of a debtor, and develops unfamiliar feelings toward the world outside Chinatown. So, it is probably... I know it's, like, really dark and it's almost, like, not really a romance, but, like, I'm sure she has to fight Mother to, like, get out of the situation you know what i'm saying like i can guess where the story goes but i'm really interested in seeing that one and that's all he's done like it's really incredible to see how he crafted so many little stories and vignettes like you said episode one is episode one season one is more episodic with the 
big through line as well. And that's difficult for any writer to do, let alone having two seasons that have our our season two really does build upon season one and um, takes these these characters on even more of a journey and even more of a spiral for the audience as well. Yeah. Did we want to touch on Junol's character? Did we? Let's just maybe go into spoilers. Okay. Yeah. Um, what would you rate this drama out of five's Hoji bottles? It's a tough one because often, usually, I rate my dramas with an element of how they made me feel and how much yeah. I enjoyed them. Yeah. And in some ways, this is not a drama that you could possibly enjoy. No, it's such a hard, uncomfortable watch. But at the same time, it is basically a work of genius. Yes. (laughs) Of its type, you know, of its genre, of the thing that it's trying to do and the way it's telling its story. As I said, in 12 episodes, it is a masterpiece, right? So in that sense, it's five soju bottles. In terms of how, uh, yeah, like I, this is not a drama I will ever rewatch, even Correct. though it's only twelve episodes. Yeah, I, I think, I think I completely agree with you that it's a fives hold you bottle show. However, and I would recommend it to people to watch, with the caveat that you're not gonna like it. Like you're not gonna like what happens. No. Yeah. Right. If you, and, and it's, it, yeah. If you're watching K-dramas for the warm and fuzzies, I'm sorry to say, like, this is no. not that drama. This is why I picked it for spooky season, because it's not giving yeah. the vibes yeah. that most people want out of a K-drama. It is and it's highly not, uncomfortable. It is, yeah. And and in that sense, it's also not something you just go, and go right, yeah, let's, um, let's, you know, pop some microwave in the oven and just sit back and enjoy. You know, because also it's not a show that you just watch passing by. It's mm-hmm. not something you just go, oh, that well, that was, you know, that was a way to spend right. Friday night. Let's mm-hmm. turn the TV off and, um, you know, I don't think about it anymore. It isn't one of those shows either, I don't think. I think it's something that stays with you. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. For, like it's haunting in that way, which is yeah. great for your season. But right. it's, not, it's not like, you know, it's not this passing kind of entertainment thing. Right. It sticks with you and it gets in your spirit and there's something about it that is sort of life-changing and i feel like as a k-drama watcher there's before dp and then after dp yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean i agree so i still highly recommend it to people i know a lot of people don't like violence they don't like this sort of subject matter they don't like feeling unhappy it is an unhappy show it's bleak but i feel like it's essential like if you want to be a consumer of Korean media, K-pop, K-dramas, variety shows, be fans of actors and singers and all the rest, I feel like you do have to watch something uncomfortable that is convicting the society that you're consuming content from. I completely agree. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, I think we're going to get into spoilers for seasons one and two of DP right after this. Hey! You wanna come in? 
All right, we're on the other side of spoilers. So if you don't care to be spoiled about what exactly happens in DP seasons one and two, please keep listening. And if not, stop and watch the show for yourself. So I think I wanted to start with Dunno's first partner, which is happens in episode one. He gets by some stroke of luck. He's tall and everything and he's smart. He gets to become a DP part of the military police finding deserters the joke is no one really knows what dp stands for but i think in the community that watches dp it's i think it stands for deserter pursuit and the first partner that juno gets paired up with is corporal Pak son who is played by ko kyungpyo and this is hard i mean the first episode one does not hold back and you kind of can't, can't get a read on this partner, is he earnest about the mission? Is he sort of not caring about the mission? And then, of course, once they get off base and get to Gangnam, instead of staying on mission, they go partying and drinking all night. Juno is clearly conflicted. And so because of the military rank, it means he has to fall in line with whatever Songwoo wants to do. Because he can pull rank on him. It's just the way that it goes. And at one point, Juno goes outside the bar that they're at to smoke. And he is not paying attention to his surroundings. He's not paying attention to whatever. Someone comes up to him asking for uh, to use his lighter. And Juno just gives it to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I have two lighters. And he gives this rando the lighter that he had. And this small moment really changes the character of Juno immensely because the ripple effect is that young kid was actually the exact deserter (laughs) that they were supposed to be looking for. And that guy uses Juno's lighter to smoke himself to death in his motel room, committing suicide. And I just remember the way episode one ends with Juno wailing on Pak Songu, his partner, and they do this incredible thing where they, it makes it, he's, they do this switcheroo where he's really, he's punching this dude, but it's him, it's Juno. He's envisioning himself punching out himself. So it's really a form of self-harm and punishment for himself, so I guess self-flatulation, because he inadvertently killed somebody with his own apathy and indifference. Yeah, and and going against his own mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. his own instinct, I guess. Right, originally to be like, okay, we're out here to do a role. We've got mm-hmm. a job to do. Yeah. We're not here in Gangnam to to party and to drink and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. And have freedom from the military. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Pak Wu, that guy, comes back in season two. I didn't think this would be the case. Yeah. But he comes back in season two and they have this knockdown, drag out, dragged out fight between the two of them uh, because he's trying to get the MacGuffin, which is the um flash drive with all of the incriminating <laughs> evidence on it of the military's misdeeds and cover-ups and i thought it was a nice touch 
I thought it was I, surprising. I, liked, I think I liked the fact that it was, he's still there, right? This douchebag from season one that you could say in some ways led to this uh, guy committing suicide. He's still around. Mm-hmm. And he's still got, you know, the era of senior senior officers are, you know, sending him out on assignments and stuff. Like he's still seen as somebody who's trusted and reliable and can do things. Mm-hmm. And he's still around. Like, you know, there is no redemption, right? There is no, you know, bad guys are still there. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not in a military prison for disobeying orders and causing this, this death instead of bringing this deserter in. Um, I think he was discharged or something or dishonorably discharged or some such. And then he was enlisted like one more time. I can't remember what it was, if he was discharged or if he just moved to another another segment of the military. Okay, yeah, we'll just go with that. I think that's what it was too. But he was more than happy to come back and, you know, pummel Juno who he blamed he blamed for the, Juno yeah. for ruining his life and his uh, potential military career which i thought was wild i don't know if you had any thoughts on that that like instead of placing the blame on on himself he blamed Juno exactly well this is why like i said i think it it's you know, it, it plays against the trope, right? So, you know, in season one, this thing happens and there's no self-reflection. There's no self-reflection. There is no punishment for this guy. You know, he comes back and you know, this, I guess it's, again, it's the reality of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I actually wondered if it's a specific casting decision as well, that it was Go Kyunpil who plays such th- a horrible character. I think it know? totally was. I think it, totally it was like was. let's Do you want take, to expand on that. Let's take this, yeah. Let's just take this like a uh, wonderful guy that everyone falls in love with from Reply ninety eight because he's <laughs> such a gentle soul, yeah, and he's so kind and he's so lovely and he's got such a such an innocent face as well. He isn't a sunsaku, you know. He isn't mm-hmm. gonna sit there and play like morally grey characters. He is just a really good guy, mm-hmm. and and they put him with glasses and then they stick him in that bar and he just flips into this other character and you're like, oh. Shit, mm-hmm. this is not Go Kyungpyo as we know him. Right. Yeah. Right. I do feel like he's playing against hype. And that is a stroke of brilliance to like blindside the audience like that. Playing on their expectations of this actor that he could he surely must be a hero character. And he's not. No. And and his face gets absolutely pummeled, mm-hmm. like absolutely pummeled in a way that we don't we don't treat our lead actors like this. They don't they don't have their face pummeled so badly that they're puffy and red and almost unrecognizable. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like it was a deliberate choice to go right. Okay, let's take this you know pretty boyishly good looking actor. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's and out smoking. He's him. out drinking. He's out partying. Yeah. He feels invincible. Yeah. It was really hard hitting. It was. It was. And then you can juxtapose him against the second partner, which is Corporal Han Hoyol, played by Kyo Hwan, who is this oddball dude, like strangely insulated from all of the happenings in the military. And he 
combats a lot of the serious issues that happen around him even the bullying he like interjects with comedy and i think there's been a joke recently i can't remember who made this joke but it wasn't it's not like in a k-drama or anything i think it was just like in the in the zeitgeist in america but if you're ever in a situation where you need to get out of it just confuse them confuse your your attacker (laughs) that is like a a tenant that he subscribes to it feels like because he's always just trying to break the tension always trying to you know unfocus the aggressors around him and it's a great strategy but it makes him feel like um maybe like more of a typical uh plucky lead in yeah. the k-drama it's funny isn't it yeah yeah I think he has this really impish quality about him. Uh, and obviously he's much slighter in build than pretty much the rest of the class. Mm-hmm. So I think that was also a deliberate casting thing as well. So like he cannot use any physical superiority mm. in a fight because he has none. Mm-hmm. But he has his wits and he has his, yeah, he's kind of um, slightly oddball off-center personality that kind of puts you off guard like you don't know how to take him right you don't really know who he is uh and he plays that uh successfully to kind of get him out of scrapes and things Mm -hmm. yeah um so it's a really fascinating character i think they created it's super fascinating and i do i did say insulated earlier because a lot of shit goes down he has been collecting deserters for a while before Juno shows up and becomes his partner. And he isn't necessarily that affected. You know, he does look at at it as a job. He's coming at these investigations unconventionally and they tend to work. His methods tend to work. And again, he's very quirky, like we said, but following the events of season one, he's nonverbal. He is laid up in the hospital. He doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to re-enter the military and get back to work in the DP department. And I think that is also a stroke of genius and also extremely sad to see what is essentially your comedic relief character become mute from all of the trauma. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. And how he finally does uh, regain his voice and speak again. But it's not that the trauma stops. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like he process could process properly what happened at the end of season one and heal. It, I, it's like new wounds help, like... Mi- out of necessity, he had to start speaking again. Yeah, I think that's a running theme as well through the whole drama. Um, I thought it was a really interesting uh, way to start season two for his character. Mm. Because I think definitely as I finished season one, I was thinking, I don't think there is enough therapy available in Korea Mm -hmm. to help all of its men that have gone through this system and been fundamentally changed by Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it was a comment as well, wasn't it, that that this is kind of 
this is a this is a broken section of society actually that not only don't get looked at but definitely don't get the help that they need absolutely absolutely yeah he wasn't i don't feel did they show him getting therapy or seeing any sort of counselor in the hospital no, the opposite, right? They keep trying to discharge him. Yeah, they keep trying to they discharge keep him. him. And the nurses are fine. annoyed with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're like, you know, you're bed blocking and you're totally fine. and You need to go back. You need to go back. Right. So, yeah. That's huge. That's huge. It's huge yeah. because they're only looking at the physical injuries. Yeah, precisely. Not the yeah. mental. Yeah persistently like putting people out there that need and he knows he needs help he's like i'm not leaving i I need to stay in the hospital i'm sick yeah (laughs) and they're like no you're good yeah you're fine you're You're, fine we've we've run all these tests and you passed them all so you're fine yeah like just leave yeah yeah (sighs) anyway it's i can't get over that character and how much i loved him he was really sort of a bit of the heart of the show was and and in a way i think season two suffers from um having not not enough of him actually Mm. i think Mm. i do wonder whether or not they kind of where with season two i think there was an element of like they they had the structure of the six episodes and i think they try to make it fit the six episodes because actually i think they had so much stuff to say Mm. um that I think they actually needed more than six. Mm. And so, like I said, we get less of the bromance, um, which is actually some of the magic of season one, I think. Mm -hmm. So that decision means that we get less of that. And then I think there's less of his character, um, which, as you said, is both a comedic relief and also part of like this kind of slightly weird team that we're we're rooting for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. The other half of that team, we've already talked about him, but I think we need to dive a little deeper. It's Juno, which is played by Jung In. And I think season one, you see a little more of where he's coming from before he enlists in the military, how he was not at fault for something at work. And then they denied him his wages and fired him. And he's like, fine, I'm leaving. But then he takes a um, a motorcycle, like the delivery yeah scooter on the way out he's like well i'm leaving with something you know what i'm saying (laughs) which goes to show how he is gonna cope with some things right like maybe he won't be overt and in somebody's face but he will get what he thinks he deserves later and he has a good sense of right and wrong because it's wrong of them to not pay him and fire him but it's also wrong of him to like steal. You know what I'm saying? Like he does have a twisted sense, twisted sense of justice. And I think as an audience, you are on his side. I mean, I think, I think they do an amazing job with you. You are on his side really quickly. Mm. Um, and they do his backstory in such a deft mm. and concise but really impactful way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, again, this is like, this violence is not glorified in this, no. right? Be- and that's partly, I think, they do it so well because of his, of his backstory. Mm-hmm. Like, his boxing skills are not to be admired. They are actually what's, he has to have, has to have become 
in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he got really good at it because of his abusive father. Mm-hmm. Um, so right from the start, this drama is saying, like, you know, don't admire this hero who is an amazing fighter for this mm-hmm. because he's become like this, you know, yeah, not yeah. not for a good thing. Right. And now uh, he's now making his living and his money. Well, yeah, well, he's living his life through this skill. And you don't, you don't, and Jung-hae is such a good actor as well. Like he, I think he really emotes through this and shows us that this is not who he wants to be. Mm. He is actually not a natural boxer. This is not something he takes joy out of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's difficult for them to have crafted Juno with such a detached and hard personality. He is yes. not this endearing hero. He has none of the charm of his partner, uh, Han Ho- Hoyol, at all. You know, yeah. he is impassive. I think that's what uh, the the chief says at one point that like how can a guy be so impassive like unfeeling he just all the time looks like nothing indifferent like nothing can bother him and at the same time this is you obviously as an audience you're like this is the only way he can make it through this is a coping mechanism yeah yeah and I think the drama does an amazing job because this guy, like, Jung Hae-in can emote I know. with his eyes like nothing else, yeah. right? And it's really funny because uh, one of the scenes that uh, he talked about in the fan meet about how he didn't want to be a military guy anymore, but he did also highlight that one of the favorite scenes for him in DP are the opening credits. Oh. You know that? It's really impactful, right? You know, when he's in the hall mm-hmm. and he's with all the other recruits when they first start and he just turns and it's kind of deliberately fuzzy, made to look like some kind of cine cam, handheld cam kind of camera, uh, camcorder for and he just turns around and stares at the camera Uh, yeah nothing else happens and you're just like what are we sending our young men to Mm -hmm. go and do Mm -hmm. and i think that and especially because it's in the opening credits which they obviously play at the start of every episode is always really haunting Mm -hmm. um and you feel like that was that's the real jinho there so as much as, you know, other people said, like you said, like he's in, impassive and, you, you know, he's just not showing any raw emotion. Every time that scene plays, you're just like, there he is, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, that guy that was at the start of the journey, he's still inside there. Yeah, absolutely. The guy that's looking back helplessly and desperately, but still resolved. Yeah. And looking battle hardened before he's gone into any battle because life is so difficult for him. Yeah. You know, it's very compelling. This character is built very well. Like you said, his back backstory is told very well and you're not dwelling on it. It's just a couple of scenes like here and there real quick. That's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need. Cause you're invested in his, emotional journey the way that he responds to things and the way that he just bursts out in in quite few instances but they're so violent and i think also through his character like i said at the beginning um they kind of flip and say this is not the drama that you think it is Mm. and i think 
when we first started, like I certainly thought, you know, when I barely knew anything about the drama, so before other people started watching it, I thought it was going to be kind of one of those dramas that is about deserters and it was going to be like this crack team of investigators who bring back people that don't want to do their duty, don't want to do their service, right. you know, because they're bad people, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And I thought that's what this was. And in a way, I mean, right from the start, we know that this is not the case, right? Actually, the victims are the deserters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you, straight away, you have to switch your mindset. But also we see right through both seasons, what an amazing investigator this guy is, right? Yeah. Like what a great detective he is. And I feel a lot like the drama is also saying like, look at who this guy could have been. Like, look at you know if if he wasn't from this background if he didn't if he'd have had a chance he could have been such an amazing detective or or a cop or whatever Mm -hmm. but the systems failed him and then we've put him in a system where he's he's actually i think using some of those skills Mm -hmm. um but he's not enjoying it um and we're using him to catch people that kind of don't deserve to be caught Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah. So it's like a double, this double yeah. um, okay. tragedy. Right, right. And speaking of tragedy, I guess we should cover the main victim of season one, which is Sokbong, yeah. who is played by Cho yes. Hyun Chol. And this guy. So, hey, uh, I didn't. I didn't write. So, did you watch Hotel? Did we talk Hotel Del Luna? Have you watched Hotel Del Luna? I dropped it after a few episodes. You dropped it, yeah. yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But uh, when, you know, you put the show notes, well, you're putting together the show notes for this. Um, I didn't, re- I just glanced through his past dramas because I was like, oh, I'm just going to see what else I've seen him in. I was like, what? <laughs> like he plays Sanchez, who is the main lead's like best friend in Hotel de Luna. And he just looks absolutely nothing like him. He plays him. I was so shocked. Mm. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is the same guy. Mm-hmm. He was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he was incredible. Scene stealing in the worst way possible. Um, His journey, which I thought was just gut-wrenching, is he was a very soft person, very kind-hearted. I think he was a teacher, an art teacher. Am I... Yeah, he was. That right? yeah, okay, yeah, because yeah. I remember him yeah. talking about students. Hugely talented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was an artist, and they put him in the military industrial complex in Korea, and of course he did not thrive. He was bullied relentlessly, and the one bullying scene that I remember vividly is I think they like pulled down his pants and lit his pubic hairs on fire. If I remember correctly, yes, I yes. was. I think I remember being so shaken. I was literally shaking. Yeah. After that scene, yeah. it was incredibly morose and diabolical. And you would never ex- like in my wildest dreams. That's not what I expect bullying to look like. You know what I'm saying? Like I was stunned and it's literally no wonder that he deserts. And he goes after his aggressor, Jiang Su, who has since been discharged. This is a Shin Sung Ho's character. And up until the very end, I mean, I had no idea where this was going to go. But his character, when he is talking to, I think, Juno about 
nothing can change. This establishment is never going to change. Our canteens, our water bottles are from the Korean War. They are a relic. This whole institution is a relic. Nothing's going to change. They don't even get us new equipment. We're using the same equipment that they used in the Korean War. And it was such a great visual that he said about the can, the canteen being from the Korean War. It's like, this is, the, yeah. you don't stop this train. And I think at the end of season one, he says um, that if you, oh my God, what was it? It was like, if nothing's going to change, then I should do something, I think are some of his final words. And instead of shooting his aggressor, he ends up shooting himself. I mean, how did you, what did you think in that moment and how were you feeling about this guy who missed and then was bleeding out in the snow? Yeah. I kind of guessed that that was potentially his end. Because I think by that point you're kind of like, this drama is not, it's not okay drama. It's not going to end well. You know, there's no happy ending here. And I did think that's kind of probably, yeah. I mean, I think also just the whole scene with him saying all of this was just the futility of it, right? Yeah. There's no art. Uh, there's no answer to him to to say. You know, even Juno's character is like this. He's got nothing to say because right. he knows there's no point in disagreeing because it would just be empty words because mm-hmm. they know it. They both know it. Mm-hmm. It's nothing is going to change. And so, in some ways, it felt like the ending he chose for himself was the only ending. Mm-hmm that he he could have that he could control that he could have yeah and i mean oh this drama was cuz cuz obviously Jinho also calls him by the name that his students call him right because yes. he's found these students and and that was really <laughs> oh my god oh, that yes. was really that really hit really hard cuz you could see this cuz up until that point i think this must chase scene and he's like he's gone psycho mm-hmm. right he has gone full metal jacket mm-hmm. he has lost he's lost his mind and, and in a way he kind of he loses who Sukbon was mm. for us mm-hmm. and then Junho calls him by his name and then that disappears for a bit and we see this guy and again it's like look at who this person was mm. look at what society this this kind-hearted good man that like got so much joy out of teaching younger people how to draw this is what we've done to mm-hmm. him. This is who we've made him become. And we don't actually deserve him mm. because we've broken him and we've not helped him. We've not supported him. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's been put through so much abuse uh, and we haven't, you know, he doesn't, I think so then when, when he finally took his own life, it felt a bit like this, yeah, this drama was saying like he was too good for us, really. Mm. He was too good for the system and the society. Mm-hmm because we failed him Mm -hmm. and i love when he i think at some point he screams like why are you after me yeah why are you after me because i was done i am the victim basically i I think he stopped short of saying i'm the victim but he didn't understand why they were pursuing him and not not shin sung character yeah you know the people that did this to him 
he was really just absolutely at his end, wasn't it? So I think the drama did so well yeah. with his character. There is this theme throughout both seasons about revolving around mothers, right? I think in yes. season one, Han Hoyol says nine out of ten suicidal deserters call their mother, call out for their mother before they die. Yeah. And that's exactly what what Sukpong does. His fi- I think the final words that you hear from him are like, oh, mom, like mother. Calling yeah. out for his mom at the very end. And obviously we talked about Juno's family life. Juno has a fractured relationship with his mother. She sends him letters he doesn't read. And when his dad is in the hospital, he's cl- was clearly an abuser. He begs his mom to leave him. Yeah. And she won't. Perpetuating this cycle of abuse, right? That is so evident within the show. And in season two, we also get more of this like motherhood with more mothers being brought in, right? Because in the season two, you have um, the new the new victim, the the new big deserter of the show. Uh, Rudy, I think is his name, or Ruri, he goes to see his mother because the military deliberately puts out information about, personal information about him, his address, and saying he's armed and dangerous when he really wasn't armed or dangerous to the public. And it causes like this mass hysteria and they start harassing and pelting his mother with abuses. And that whole scene of them outside of their little shop and the mother getting in between you know him and the the firing squad that's there and will they won't they shoot this deserter and him just being there for like he just the mother son bond in running through the show and especially in that scene is very heavy-handed I think. Did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think I agree with you that motherhood is definitely a theme throughout this drama. And it is obviously the one that really tugs your heartstrings. Uh, this overwhelming feeling of like these mothers have worked so hard to bring up these sons. Mm-hmm. And then they send them off to the military for safekeeping, I guess. Mm. And the show is showing to you, we do not keep them safe. You know, we do everything else but keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And um, they're broken. Mm -hmm. So all of this love and everything you poured into these children, we've just kind of systematically broken it Mm -hmm. down. And, and, you know, the the people that are tossed out at the end are, are no longer the sons that you sent in. They're no longer the people that you that you loved mm-hmm. you know they, they are broken inside how did you feel about Saun, who is the lieutenant colonel the female the new addition to season two is played by kim jihyun um she's brand new character and then she they reveal was used to be married to <laughs> sun saku's <laughs> character they are like exes but she is also a mother yes right but also part of these really dicey 
decisions that the higher ups are making about these deserters and how to spin this story. She's like a PR lady, a lot of what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she was probably one of the weaker parts of the show mm. for me. Mm-hmm. I felt a little bit like they thought that season two should have a woman in it. Mm. And they kind of created this character uh, for a woman. Um, and I'm not sure that... So I think I think some of the, the, the ways that they managed to make morally grey characters in the rest of the season, I think they tried to do that with her a little bit. But they almost did it without conviction. Like, it was kind of like, should we do it like this? Should we do it like this? Mm. And so it felt like it just fell between the lines a little bit. And then I think, to be honest, I also got a bit annoyed towards the end thinking like... How how do these senior military officers also just happen to be able to be attorneys in a law court? Mm. Like you just that's a thing, is it? Like you can you can both be a trained lawyer and also very senior in the military. Like that is like a that's a few that's good men thing. as well. I don't know. <laughs> I it, it, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are right. I don't know. But it know. just felt like it came out of nowhere, though. Do you know? Yeah. Like, A Few Good Men, at least, it built... Yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. it built it. Like, it, like here, it felt like, oh, it just so happens that... Oh, we didn't tell you this, by the way. But they're, like, also lawyers, <laughs> both of them. <laughs> it's very true, because it feels like it came out of left field. She was working in this... Because of this outcome for this deserter and how bad it made the military look and the re- and they live streamed this whole ordeal and it made them look bad she got fired but i was like fired do they mean discharged from the military so i was confused if she was even in the military exactly i was confused and then she signs up to be the lawyer for the same guy for ruby and i'm like but she was directly involved in this whole thing like will the military is that is that lawful to have her be the lawyer like a huge conflict of interest yeah i know like does she interview herself at some point and just can you know should go at your role Mm -hmm. as a commanding officer at Mm -hmm. the time when he was yeah 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 Uh, yeah that was a bit of an odd like i think that was a bit of a misstep i think for the for the drama i can agree with that yeah i can agree with that um i think we have to talk about episode three of season two which is really funny with the two arduino and his partner going on like this wild goose chase for two different um deserters who are notoriously still in the books because they're still missing one has been missing for eight years and the other one's been missing since like the korean war or something like that it was like two different and then not only is it really funny because of like the hijinks that happens, which is a nice reprieve after the whole standoff that happens previously in episode two, but episode three also has the LGBTQ discrimination and violence, which this episode made me cry. I don't know. I don't know if if how it affected you, but this storyline with corporal Jang Sumin, AKA Nina who they show this flashback sequence of of him performing at the performing arts school which i didn't even know performing arts schools have a hierarchy but apparently they do because he was like lower on the rung of of performers and he was getting beaten up by his senior for wanting to play a female character i mean 
I was there was like a lot of things that were shocking to me in this episode and the way that this story resolves is again just not not satisfactory at all it's not what you want to happen at all um did you have thoughts about this story yeah Yeah. this was probably the favorite my favorite part of season two Mm -hmm. if favorite in quote marks because again it's not an enjoyable thing um but i think the whole the whole story was told so well Mm. and again condensed like they just told they told a k-drama worth of a story Mm -hmm. in an episode uh so well so deftly um and you even though you kind of know what their end is uh, what Nina's end is going to mm-hmm. be, you're still rooting for her, right? Right up until like she's through, she's that at the airport, at the, and you're because... still thinking, you're still hoping that that somehow this drama is going to give yes. you some redemption, yes, right? That she gets out of the country yeah. and makes it to London. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't happen, like. It's a series of the, unfortunate this, events because when they yeah. when they find Nina on the bridge, I I just like I just like lost it. It was it was yeah. too much because it could have it could have been avoided. Like I, it could have been avoided. <laughs> yeah, and I'm and I um I thought the song. Uh, oh, that she sang oh. as Nina was just so haunting. I know. Amazing. Oh my god. Yeah. Amazing. And and I just I really love that this drama went here as well because it was like because I think that's what season two did also mm-hmm. was broaden slightly out of just the military and talk about Korean society as a whole. So addressing its homophobia, addressing you know how how someone who is 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 potentially going to present as trans not going to be accepted in in Korean society. They are always going to be the bottom of the are they going to be bullied for it and mm-hmm. uh, and it was all very homophobic and just very familiar for us in the west um and yeah just mm-hmm. just so depressing so depressing i yeah i think that was the story that really resonated with me for season two was the story of nina and the passion that that she like could not give up on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't. Yeah. At the end of the episode, they end up thinking, our two guys end up thinking about like their purpose in life and wondering if they'll ever go to the extent that Nina did to chase their passions. And or, or chase their authentic, right, their authentic self. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right, which is a huge question. They don't seek to to answer these questions. They just pose them for the characters and for the audience. It's a mirror to society. It's like, look, this mm-hmm. is this is what we mm-hmm. do to people. Um, we make them fit in, or they mm-hmm. conformity, which the military is all yeah. about conformity. Yeah, and Asian society is all about conformity. So I think it's a double. Mm. This is why I'm, I'm glad that they showed this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, 
thing. But I also find like, I mean, I know you guys already did, a, you already did an extraordinary attorney Wu uh, episode, but I do find it funny as well that Asia kind of presents the the the, the West as being a solution, so like she could go to the UK and be herself, and it's like, oh, that's well, right. we treat trans rights. Yes, we speak rights people really badly here too, right? They have higher suicide rates and lower mental, like really bad <laughs> mental health. You're like, we're not, you know. And in the same way, you know, in the US, like uh, like people with autism, are, you know, they're they're kind of tried to like they're abused through you know aba which is like a conversion therapy for autistic people it's like i love that you present the west as some kind of salvation for like uh, asian agents that don't fit in but unfortunately is that how the writers yeah, that's feel, also, right yeah or, or society thinks it's okay you know and, and i wish that it was the case but yeah <laughs> i know i mean it's it's probably better still but not not definitely mm-hmm. very far away from from being salvation but i think the other the other like i said i think we talked about how there's less vignettes in season two but the ones that really they did feature were mate. So the other one um on the north korean guard post like that again is another masterpiece in jesus storytelling. this this is the horror episode as much yeah. as there's horrifying yeah. things happening in all of the other episodes of dp this one truly leaned into the horror aesthetic yeah. and it felt like uh, you were watching they, a horror movie the way that they shot they it like yeah and the way they created just again with very few shots very small amount of time this incredibly claustrophobic pressure cooker environment mm-hmm. on the border of north and south korea mm-hmm. amazing storytelling amazing yeah i think this one was maybe a little bit the role reversal was was key to this right because you have Sun Soku's character who's convinced that his friend died um was murdered not died and it turns out that his friend was not murdered he just died in a really stupid accident that could have been avoided and not only was his friend not this great guy he was actually the aggressor he was the bully bullying his um the people underneath and all of the younger lower ranked soldiers underneath his command. And I think that this episode also covers this like slight tangent that memories are faulty. Yeah. This, this, uh, yeah. The, um, what's it called? The narrator, you know, the, (laughs) my brain is not working at this time of the night. What is it? Like, you know, when you have a drunk narrator and you're not sure mm-hmm. whether what they've narrated yeah, is, is the truth or not? Yeah, an unreliable narrator. Unreli- that's it, an unreliable narrator. And you don't, re- and it's such a great bake out. Mm-hmm. So again, this drama is just like every time you think you know what you're doing and you every time you think you know what's happening, it just pulls the rug out from under and you go, no, actually, this is mm-hmm. not, this is not what this story yeah. is. How did you like uh, Choi Hyung? Hyun-wook, who plays Ahui, who's that younger, very sort of uh, defiant soldier who's the only witness to the yeah. Yeah. the CEO yeah. dying. Um, masterful performance, I thought, because you really do think Amazing. he's at fault or he's sketchy. He's hiding yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love that we get both versions, mm-hmm. right? As the audience, mm-hmm. we get to see both sides. So, and both of the actors are amazing. Yeah. Because they play the complete opposite of each other so convincingly that actually as an audience there you do have a moment where like which one was which one was real? Yeah. Which one was the thing that actually happened? Because they both 
are so completely convincing mm-hmm. uh, in, in their scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the last thing that I have in my notes is just the train fight from episode five, which feels very much like a Netflix hallway fight, except on a train. Yes. <laughs> and Juno, who is Chung Han's character, just it goes ape shit. Like he fights like 30 guys and wins. Like he's a superhero at this point. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that action sequence. Uh, if, yeah, I didn't know whether it was deliberately referring to it because it felt quite Train of Busan. Yes, a little bit. Yeah. Obviously, not with zombies, obviously, but this kind of like relentless, this relentless kind of like people would appear. There'd be more of them, and then he'd like you'd think it was over, and it was almost like the show's like just take a breath because oh, we're at it again, <laughs> and it was just like. Right. Yeah, and the way they shot it, uh, it, it, I'm, as I said, I'm not a big violence uh, and action kind of fan, but they really shot it so mm-hmm. well, like the pacing yeah. and the, and it felt very raw. Mm-hmm. It felt really raw. So, yeah, kudos to the the whole yeah. team for all of that. It was a uh, yeah, great, great fight, great sequence. fight sequence. Oh, I had one more note for season two that you do have Bongu, who's like the chief. They're trying to get him to sign this document that states who is responsible he's going to take responsibility for the failure of season one's deserter yeah pursuit thing and they were going to make him sign a petition letter that stated that Sokbong was mentally ill which led to his suicide instead of revealing the real reason for his death which was the deluge of hellacious abuse that he was subjected to and was a was victimized on their watch. The fact that they were using mental illness as sort of, they were weaponizing mental illness for their cause. Um, I don't know. That did something to me because I was like, oh, so they know when to pull that trigger. And say, oh, no, he was mentally unstable. There was no... We could do nothing to stop this this crazy man who was, you know, on a rampage. I was like, pretty stunned at that, actually. I think, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we get out of here? Because the ending. The, how did you feel? How do you feel about the ending? It was because it offered. Nobody won, right? Like in in this hearing or or court case that happened where they were trying to get into evidence that incriminating flash drive. Nobody won. Like the military accepted some responsibility, but then you can't remove any responsibility from our victim, uh, Ruri, who was on trial as well. So it was like a, win-lose situation nobody I mean it was interesting that she thought that the lawyer thought oh it was a small win for us in the right step in the right direction for us for the military to concede one fact yeah one point about the scenario but again 
it's like a losing battle. It's not a losing battle, but one that obviously can't have immediate and lasting effects. So, did you like the ending? I think it was fitting for the... I mean, I would have felt really cheated if it somehow tried to get a happier ending right. than that. I think that was literally the most happy ending that it could yeah. have. Uh, and then also the reappearance of Sokbong kind of in Jun Ho's imagination was really like, oh. And um, I also thought the drama was very good in the sense that, you know, like it started off and the episode started with how many days to discharge. Yeah. How many... Like as if that was... The countdown. They did a good job of saying the countdown, uh, but it wasn't actually a countdown to anything because his life is fundamentally like it, it might be better if he's not in the military, but it's not like, you know, there's not a rainbow at the end of that mm. discharge day, right? When it finally mm-hmm. gets down to zero, like he is fundamentally a changed mm-hmm. person. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think the better piece of the ending, piece of the puzzle is when he does see the aggressor from season one in his life, like in university, just living his life. <laughs> like nothing happened. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So true. No right. Yeah. He's like lighthearted. Yeah. And yeah, I actually really love that. That just like really small snippet cameo. That one lashing to her looking mm-hmm. like poof, having mm-hmm. fun as a girl, like he's yeah. you know, living a great life and, and Jung Hin's like, <sighs> I'm going through the ringer here. And this man who inflicted so much damage is totally fine. He seems unaffected, not at fault. And I think that's how a lot of society probably views those two years that they're in the military. It's, they just, it's like a dream. You just want to forget it. And that's how he was living his life. He was like, I'm out. I can do whatever the hell I want. I'm back in school. And I don't have to think about that time anymore. (sighs) You do want something to happen to Shin Sung-ho's character, Jiangsu, but it was very powerful for them not to have anything happen to him. I think I would have felt like it it would have gone it just would have felt tonally mm. wrong i think if they did mhm i agree to be honest yeah i agree well i've come to the end <sighs> of my notes on dp i originally didn't really want to cover this in blog form or any form because it was so heavy and there are so many different topics we can still be talking here for a couple more hours on dp but i think at the end of the day it is an affecting drama it's incredibly moving and i still feel like it's an essential important watch for for people who are remotely interested in korean media korean society yeah and yeah exactly uh we have to take the light and the dark don't we we can't just always just choose a fantasy version of korea that Mm. we are putting on it you know this is absolutely an essential watch in in that Mm -hmm. sense yeah so yeah i'm i'm glad i made it i think domestically i was just chatting to my um my korean colleague that season one did really well but actually season two wasn't 
quite as big. Um, but I would also recommend for those of you who finished the drama and just need a bit of like more lightheartedness that the um, the Netflix K content uh, Jenga game <laughs> is a nice way to kind of <laughs> yes. like just lighten the mood a little yeah. bit. And it's cute. See our actors kind of be a bit more a uh, bit funny and yeah. Okay. That was a, that's a nice way to kind of lighten the mood a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Watch some of that extra promo con not promo content. Well, it is promo content of the cast. It is promo, yeah. Just yeah. having a good time. That'll kind of break the tension a little bit and get you out of um this headspace. But definitely recommend something light in nature after watching DP. Don't just like sit in your feelings after this show this show. But it is spooky season and I'm glad you joined us for this DP review. I'm really glad that we did it. Sarah, where can we find you online? Um, I post on Instagram at Kamodrama This, uh, and I'm also the co-host of a podcast called Afternoon Asks, which I co-host with Grace, who's a Korean American, and I'm British Chinese, and we try to answer and give some of the Asian uh, viewpoint of all the questions that we have uh, in our K drama, C drama, and Asian drama watching. Perfect. Yes, I love Afternoon Ask. The Burning Sun interview that you guys did, incredible. Oh yeah incredible i think this is it's very much exactly the theme we're talking about now actually that i think it's important to 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 access this content too and see the other side of career and it's not just like i said the fantasy k-drama version i think we owe it to ourselves to kind of explore the darker sides of career society yeah, as well yeah exactly again thank you for coming on on such short notice have a wonderful halloween and um i hope you you get back in the swing of things and you're not jet lagged anymore but that's <laughs> it that's been our show i'm jessica and this has been the tebaki rambles podcast tell me am i crazy now Just lay your chain somehow It's too late for remedy For the lies that I've been hiding from them Yeah, I'm crazy now I've been sleepwalking
I just lay here chained somehow. 